This all happened in Athens, and I've been there. I've hardly left the country very much in my life. In fact, I've hardly left the state very much in my life. Michigan is where I've lived, except for where I was born. Michigan's where I've lived my whole life. So I'm not used to getting outside of my own box and seeing the world. But when I was in Greece, we stopped by in Athens. We were there on a mission trip. And uh, my professor here at Spring Arbor University was with me. And he's got like three PhDs, two master degrees. I mean, the guy just knows everything. If you have a conversation with him about theology, you will lose. Uh, but uh, um, we get there in Athens, and we're invited into this kind of like spare room in a coffee shop or something like that. And we sit down, and we are here at the home of philosophy. We are here where all the great philosophers are from. And when you live in a city like that, that kind of stuff lives on in your DNA, Right? These are the, this is the home of the great debaters of, of ancient times. And so people still study them and learn them and still want to debate. People go to school here to learn philosophy, things like that. And so we're there, and my professor, this white American guy, starts to share with these Greeks, who are probably thinking he's way outside of their league, about Jesus and who he was and the gospel in a way that he thinks that they might be able to pick up on it as Athenians. And as he does that, you start to see some of the Greeks in the room start to interject and interrupt and, and, and kind of start having a conversation. Well, our philosophers say this. And unexpectedly to them, my professor would then quote back their philosophers and pull out some others that they weren't expecting. Well, yeah, sure, Plato said that, but Aristotle. <laughs> and they're looking around like, what is happening right now? And soon, like, this one guy who was especially, like, always trying to debate, like, he had to kind of, like, not concede, but step back a bit, because he realized every time he opened his mouth, my professor had a way of, like, engaging him on his own turf with his own heroes. And we have a lot that we can learn from Paul right here, because that's exactly what he did. See, Paul had different ways of going about reaching people. When you look at the book of Acts, and you just read straight through it, you're going to notice that every time Paul gets to a new place, he walks into the synagogue where the Jewish people are, and he preaches about Jesus. And a lot of people are thinking, whoa, who would let a Christian into the Jewish synagogue to preach about Jesus? Well, that's not exactly the way they would have perceived of it in their time. I mean, Paul wouldn't have said that he's not Jewish. He was Jewish. For him, he was just a Jewish person who knew who Jesus was, because that's that's like the fulfillment of Jewishness, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he'd walk in, he's a well-known Pharisee, he's a well-known Jew, and as he sits there in the synagogue, sometimes the synagogue leaders would be like, oh, we see that Paul's here. Paul, would you like to come up and share? And you can imagine Paul like, oh yeah, I would. <laughs> and he gets up there, he's like, so, let me tell you, the Messiah has come. And you'd think that this would go over badly, but oftentimes people listened and a lot of Jewish people would constantly join the, uh, the church in this time because Paul presented Jesus in a way that they would understand. And when Paul goes to synagogues, guess what he quotes a lot of? The Bible, Scripture. Because he knows that this is a holy word and the Jews agree with it. And if he can find a way to present Jesus in a frame of the Bible in which they can understand how he's fulfilled prophecies, how the Psalms have declared him, how he's fit into all these different bubbles of the Messiah that they've been waiting for in the backwards ways that they never expected, well, the Jews could be convinced by that because that's good theology. That's good scriptural work. 
And so they'd sit there and they'd be mesmerized by Paul. And sure enough, a lot of the Jews would come to salvation because Paul had taken the scriptures and found a way to make them come to life so that they would understand who Jesus was. But Paul also reached the Gentiles. That's what the Gentiles don't really care about. The Bible. And why would they? This is a Christian thing. We, we understand that this is God's word. We understand that it's divinely inspired. But to the rest of the world, this is just a book. So how do you go to people who don't conclude that this is <laughs> the word of God and then convince them about Jesus? It doesn't help to start with prophecy. It doesn't help to say how Jesus fulfilled these things over here. Like that, that may be helpful for some, but for the most part, this book means nothing to the people that you're trying to reach, so why start with that? You've got to sometimes start somewhere else. And so Paul, while he's preaching in the synagogue, he also finds his way through Athens, and he comes across the philosophers who are always debating, and he comes up to them and sees what they're up to and, and begins to try to enter into the debate with them because they've heard of this Paul guy. Even demons have heard of this Paul guy, the book of Acts tells us. Everybody seems to have heard of this Paul guy. He seems like a babbler. He's talking about some, some kind of God we haven't heard about, this Jesus guy. What, what is going on with this Paul? All right, Paul, step on up to the microphone. Explain what on earth you are talking about. And the philosophers listen. And how does Paul present Jesus to them? He, do, he doesn't start with Scripture. He, he is thoroughly inspired by Scripture and interweaves it. He quotes it at least once, very shortly. But for the most part, he speaks about spiritual logic. He recognizes the culture he's in. He says, look, I perceive you're all very religious. Yeah, we can start on that same ground because I'm religious too. I, I believe in, spiritual, in the spiritual world. I believe that there's a God. And... Then he goes a step further. He looks around at their culture and he sees all these idols and he recognizes one. He says, you have an idol right here. Um, it says, to the unknown God. Now, my God's idol isn't anywhere around here because what does he need an idol for? I mean, he made the whole world. What, we're going to then create him somehow with our hands, with rock? No, no. But you do have an idol that you haven't assigned yet. You have something where you're like, who is the God behind all these things. Who, who is that God that we're unaware of? And I, I'll tell you now. I'll tell you now. Since you're religious and I'm religious and we can start on the same foot there, let me tell you about Jesus. And then he starts to enter into the conversation, not with Jewish scriptures, a little bit of it, but he comes in starting on the grounds of we're both spiritual, and then he moves into the grounds of logic. Like, look, we all, we all got to understand, like, if God truly exists who made us, then we can't make him. So who's that God? Did you ever wonder about that? Let me, let me tell you about that God, the God of gods, the God over all these other idols that can't see or hear. My God sees and hears, the one that you don't know. And so now he starts moving into logic. And then he goes on from there, catch this, to quote their own poets against them. <laughs> Look, you guys, you have a, a poet in your culture who said this. It's like Paul had been listening to the pop songs of the radio of the time, right? That's like me walking up to maybe an atheist and be like, look, Coldplay once said in a song, you know, like, which wouldn't mean anything because Coldplay's lyrics are gibberish. If you've ever heard them, it probably wouldn't be helpful. But in this case, 
he walks into the culture, he sees the culture around him, he uses it to speak to them, and then quotes their own people to help him make sense, and some of them get saved. Some of them follow the logic. Some of them join the church. Not because Paul said, look, I'm a Christian and you're all dumb and the things you believe are stupid, now follow me. <laughs> That's what the American church does all the time. We walk into cultures, we tell everyone they're wrong and they're stupid for thinking what they're stupid, now follow us. That doesn't work. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit constantly helped Paul understand the cultures he was walking into and help inspire the message that he needed to share so that they would come to understand who God was. And we live in a different culture than Athens. We can't always walk out and say, I perceive that you are religious, I am as well, because not everybody is. We don't have common ground there. And they might be completely scientific-minded, well, you might have an aspect of supernatural. You don't have common ground there. So how do you begin to enter those conversations? I remember I was at church once and I got this phone call. Uh, a woman was calling me to come save her son. <laughs> I don't know that that's how that works. I could just do that at will. But I would happily come and, and talk to your son. And so uh, I come across, I guess the son's open to the conversation. I walk literally across the street, knock on the door. It's like, yes, you need to save my son. I'm bringing him in here. Uh, hey, come on, come to me. I'm like, okay, who's this teenager? Walks out, he's like 30 years old. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, no. You know, <laughs> I'm not prepared for whatever this conversation is, he's already got plenty of stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm at least ready, you know, to like try. And he walks out and, and he just instantly jumps into conversations about science and things like that. And I just stop, I'm like, look man, I, I approve of science too. There is nothing you have said to me that I don't believe is real. What? Well, your scriptures say these things about science not being real and things like that. I was like, yeah. But, like, that's the way our ancient cultures, who are not scientific-minded people, are trying to understand the way in the world was made. I still believe the theology of what they thought, that they believe that there's one God who made all things. Whether God uses science in the ways in which he works, like, that, that was not a conversation that ancient people thousands of years ago were happen having. If I were to tell them that in their DNA are tiny little chromosomes that go on to create things and they they wouldn't even understand what's dna well it's in your blood no my blood is just red <laughs> no but there's little things in it no i don't think so you know like these, these are not conversations are ready to have and and so i have that conversation and my friends just like hang on we agree on this yeah sure doesn't bother me okay and then he goes to a spiritual side of things, you know, like, hey, what about, you know, like, you think your one God's the one true God, and like, all these other gods are fake and all that. Like, no, the Bible says that the little g gods are actual spiritual entities. They're just not the one true God, and that God made all spiritual beings that exist, and they have become disobedient to him and turned on him. So like in the book of Daniel, in this Bible that we believe, there's a place where God sends an angel to reach Daniel, and that angel can't get there because it runs into a spiritual being that's been positioned with authority over Persia, the same authority God gave it, and now it's trying to fight this spiritual being 
because it's turned on God, its true creator. I mean, that's the same with humanity. Humanity was created, and then it turned on God. Spiritual beings were created, and then they turned on God. But I believe that there's only one true God, one God who made all things, and that's the God that I'm pointing people to, that unknown God of, of, of uh, what Paul saw in Athens, right? There's only one God. As far as you thinking that there are other spiritual beings, yes, they exist, and all Christians recognize that there are other spiritual beings. We just don't think that they are the true God and that following them is following false entities. <laughs> and my friend is just like, my, my new friend here, you know, I've never met a pastor like you before. <laughs> I get it, because I grew up in the church. I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a third-generation pastor. And I was tired of getting questions. I was tired of asking questions and getting bad answers. Nothing that was deep enough. Nothing that really caught the scripture. And so I started to really study those questions. Help me out. And guess what? I run into someone else who's been fed Christianese their whole life and wants to go deeper, but the church has never offered them anything to do that with. And now I'm meeting them on their turf. I'm meeting them in their own culture. Interestingly, this guy was scientific-minded and supernaturally-minded. And because I could try to find a way to interweave the scriptures into that conversation, he was open to it. He did not write me off or toss me out the door. He did not get saved that day. I am unsure if he actually ever came around. If he did, then he hasn't quite gotten that all on track. But I met him by understanding his culture and meeting him there. And I think last time I was here, I talked about some of the cultural ways in which we try to meet people. Our churches run a lot of weird churches. Like, uh, Well, I shouldn't say weird, because we do a dinner church where we invite lots of people in to eat. And I know you do that too now. So you're weird too, like me, yeah. And uh, we bring people in and we eat with them. That's one of the ways that Jesus met people in his culture. Food always creates those conversations with strangers. Doesn't guarantee they'll get saved, but it certainly opens the conversation to talk about Jesus. You recognize that. Dallas has told me those stories. I'm impressed with you guys. You know, a little jealous. Uh, it's amazing the work that you guys have been doing right here in downtown Jackson. So thank you for doing that for our community. Um, with the... Uh, that's, that's a way to meet people in the culture and have conversations from there. And once you get to know people, you start to recognize that some of the things that you just naturally thought about them or stereotypes that you had aren't even true. Like I, in my mind, I was always like, okay, once we get the homeless people in here, how do I start to save them and show them um, who Jesus is in their own context? Yet I constantly find that most homeless people I run into already believe in Jesus. <laughs> Because they're at the bottom of the rope. Jesus already is their answer. So then the question becomes, all right, how do I help disciple them forward? I remember going to one of my friend's cars to check in on them, and I'm knocking on the door because that's where they're sleeping. The windows are all fogged over. They open the door, and they're just like reading their Bible. I was like, oh, I caught you at a bad time. You know, you're just like sitting in the car reading your Bible. Not typically the way that people have a stereotype of of what a homeless person might just be doing with their spare time. But now I'm finding equal ground, ways in which that we can have conversations. One of the other churches we have started and run now for a few years is Nerd Church. We launched it at Jackson's Mega XP, which is a comic convention, right? And we went in there with, we had a booth at a table with a bunch of nerds, <laughs> 
from our church, and we just let any nerds in the place come and learn about who we were and tell them about this church that we were starting. We're essentially... Um, doors would open at 5.30, then from 6 to 7.30, we play video games or board games, then from 7.30 to 8, we talk about Jesus, and then after that, if anybody wants to play some more games, you can stay late and do that, and then after that, we typically go grab some late night food somewhere. I mean, whatever you want to do. That's us like trying to enter into the conversation using board games and, and those things as the like. What was the first thing that we preached on when we launched Nerd Church? The first series that we did, aliens. <laughs> Do they exist? That's a question that the church has turned down for a very long time. Uh, I've actually written an entire book on this topic because I think that there's lots of people out there who ask weird questions and need better answers from the church. Um, and it was just addressing that question. Would God make aliens, yes or no? And so I've got 100 pages trying to help people sort that out from Scripture. Um, but why did we start with aliens at Nerd Church? Well, because we know our community. We are nerds reaching nerds. And these are the kind of questions that they're curious about. And when the church just comes in and says, no, it's not, and that's a dumb question, don't ask it, that turns people off from being able to pursue those kind of conversations further. The rest of the world is asking it when they hear these weird stories and all these different kinds of things. Or even if they're just watching sci-fi, it's opened them up to the question of, would, would God do that? And so when you come to the conversation willing to bring a Christian voice to it, you add Christianity into a context that didn't exist before. Christians become people who can have better conversations with people by understanding the culture that they're in. And when we get caught up in just living in the white American Bible belt, we end up carrying out a mentality that much of the world can't connect with because they don't live there. They're dealing with some real problems. They're dealing with things that Christianity may not have to deal with. And then sometimes when we get saved, we take all that junk that we had, we turn it into a testimony, and then we never use it to reach people. That somebody might come in and, and have a real problem with pornography, and you can step into that and be like, look, I used to too. But then Jesus did a work in my life, took a lot of effort, that somebody might come in with drug addiction. And instead of just saying, well, just stop, which is not how it works, we might be able to say, based on our own testimony, I too had that problem. Here's what I did to get out of it. Not just, well, Jesus can stop it if you let him, sorry. One of the organizations I had to help create here in Jackson was an organization that recognized that addiction does not just stop overnight. And how do we meet people in the midst of their addiction, whether they want to recover or not, and slowly build relationships to keep pointing them towards recovery? That's knowing my cultural context, knowing that I can get Jesus in the midst of that if I create the space to have that conversation. But when we don't create that space for the conversation, when we don't know our culture, we can't reach them because there's just complete disconnect. Like right now, we, we continue to have big conversations that keep coming up with the world. And Christians often are just hardcore. We just kind of stomp in and say, this is what we believe and you're all wrong. Um, so like, I'll just use an example without getting too hot topic, like something like 
abortion, for me, I may be like, a child is a life, and I want to save that life. But I know the other side of the conversation. And me just saying what I feel is not a conversation. Me recognizing that on the other end, they're saying, but do you care about my life too? Yes, I do. Now, how do I have a better conversation that does that? Because if I don't acknowledge that, they just heard, well, I'm right, you're wrong, and you're worthless. And that's not a way to have a conversation. Do you understand the culture you are speaking to? Because it's not good enough to just be right. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are ways to have conversations. Paul did not walk into Athens and say, I'm right, you're wrong. If you don't follow me, you're just stupid. He met them on their grounds. He understood who he was talking to. He changed the way he preached. And he saw people come to Jesus. And the church has turned off a lot of the world by not doing that. And so as we give our hearts to Jesus today, let's let him conform our minds, transform our will, and help us have better conversations. Because that's as old as the Bible itself. Paul's entire life was missionary work to all kinds of cultures. Schmensi had to constantly change the way he was talking. He wasn't going out trying to make people Jewish. He was trying to bring Jesus into all the different tribes, languages, and tongues. The end of the Bible is clear on that too. You ever realize at the end of Revelation when the earth has finally been transformed where heaven and earth meet and the earth is recreated and we live on the earth as the new heaven and new earth you ever realize there's still countries and kingdoms and kings apparently culture doesn't leave in the end Paul didn't run around trying to make everybody follow Jewish law because he wasn't trying to go out and create more Jewish people he was trying to bring Jesus into their culture and say this is your king now As you subject yourself to him, he's going to change some of the things that you do. He's going to change some of the ways that you think. He's going to change some of your laws. He's going to change um, some of the ways that you live your everyday life. There are going to be things that you thought weren't sin that suddenly you're going to realize are, and you're going to have to stop. But you're not going to leave your culture behind. Jesus is going to redeem your culture. And if you want Jesus to redeem all cultures and all tribes and all languages and all tongues, you're not going to get in to meet them unless you grow to love them and understand them. So, Jesus, we live in uh, our own culture that is raging these days. Everybody's screaming at everyone all the time. And the church is probably the biggest perpetrator of it. Jesus, we need to know how to live in your kingdom of heaven right now because you call us citizens of heaven. We're already there. While we live on the earth, we are already in heaven at the same time. And because you are the king of heaven, therefore we need to subject ourselves to you. But we also need to recognize that the rest of the world doesn't live in heaven, aren't citizens in heaven, and aren't subjecting themselves to you. And we need, our, uh, we need your wisdom to know how to walk into their spaces and point them towards heaven so that they might be there when heaven fully comes to earth. 
Jesus, we need you because you are the one who knows how to speak. We need you because you're the one who knows the people that we're reaching. Teach us to love better. Teach us to listen better. Teach us to speak better. In Jesus' name, amen.